Good morning, church. Without taking a lot of time today, I'll be sharing the pulpit with a, a lovely lady. Her name is Jo, and uh, I thank God for Patrick for allowing Jo to share with us this morning. And one thing I like about Jo is that Jo is a mom with two young boys. And she's also a wife. And Joe has said that kids are precious, but they don't stop me from serving my father. So well done, Joe. And I pray that most of us will pick up from Joe and see what is it that God is asking us to do as a church. Because the Bible says that the harvest is plenty. But the workers are few. The harvest is plenty. When I see my brother stand here and cry for help, for our young people, I feel, God, what's happening to us? That we can actually cry for people to serve our God. Our theme today is holiness. And the word we're talking today is holy. And I want to remind us today that we serve a holy father. We serve a God that is holy, that is precious. A God that is encouraging us to be like him. A God is saying, you know, I know you're not yet there, but I want you to be where I am. I want you to be in the position that I'm standing in. So this part one, and uh, I'll just do the intro part of it, but Joe will be giving us her story and her journey of what has happened. Before I share this, I would like us to pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, I want to thank you because of your name. That it means holiness. I want to thank you because of who you are. Because your name talks about purity. Your name talks about cleanness. Your name talks about spotless. And today, as we talk about this, I pray that it will not just be another day. It will not be another topic. But Father, we are going to seek in our hearts and remove anything that is standing in your way. Remove any impurity, unforgiveness, any dark areas that may destroy and hinder us from standing in your presence, God. So today, as we talk about this topic, I want to pray that, Father, may you guide us, may you lead us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the book of 1 Peter, verse, chapter 1, 16, we read, Be holy, because I am holy. And we believe, as his church, we are daily walking towards his holiness in our everyday life or lives. The Hebrew word for holy 
It's called Daesh. Or Kodesh, depending on where you're coming from. Which comes from the root word Kadesh. In simpler terms, it means to, be, to set apart for a, a specific purpose. And I believe for many of us, holy or holiness can be looked in so many ways. Especially when you think about two keywords are learning philosophy. Ethics and morality. When you think of those two words that define where you stand, your word holiness may not be necessarily mean what it means to me. I was looking at a book that is written on medical ethics and the writer was talking about when you think about the word euthanasia, to somebody else it means something different and to somebody else it means something different. And the person was asking, where do we draw the boundary between what the Bible says and what the medical people are talking about? Another word came up about sexuality. Depending on your ethics and where you stand, this word can be a completely different thing to some people. And that's why the word holy is very controversial in certain level in different areas. Depending on where you stand. And I believe for us, holiness is being set apart from anything impure in order to be completely given over to what God says is pure. Those of us as Christians who believe in God, I want to believe that, that we are being set apart from anything that is impure in order to be completely given over to what God says is pure. When you apply this meaning to God, his holiness points to what John 1, 5, 1, 5 says, that this is a message. We have heard about him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in him and that's why he's holy. One way of looking at the word holy is to set apart for a purpose. And in the book of Exodus chapter 19 verse 6 and 1 Peter 2, 9, both refer to Israel as a holy nation. Not because they were better than us, because God set them apart for his purpose. I've seen people selling water. I'm not sure about here, but in Africa, I've seen people selling holy water from Israel, and I've said, this is not holy water. And people buy the water. They believe it's holy. I've even seen holy calendars from Israel. It's a special calendar from Israel. It's a holy calendar. And I'm saying God set Israel, Israelites as a special 
nation because God had a purpose. Not because they are very special or very different from us, but God had a purpose for the nation of Israel. And he does for all of us as Christians. God has a plan for you and I. And that's why he's setting us apart for his purpose. That's why he's calling us to holiness to achieve and fulfill that purpose that he's given us. In other words, God is inviting his church to a life of sanctification. The Christian life is a life of sanctification. A life where I am cleaned and purified by him. A life where I am made sacred and holy for God's purpose. When I fail, he's there to correct me. When I lost in sin, he rescued me. And when I am struggling, he's picking me up to encourage me. When God was establishing a relationship with the children of Israel, he gave Moses these instructions. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's a big task. But God is inviting you and I and saying, give me those pieces. Give me, those, give me the brokenness. Give me the mess. I want to put it together and clean it up and make it pure. Is somebody digging gold out of mud and saying, let me have all the mud. I can wash it up. I can clean it because I want this gold to use it for a particular thing. No wonder I said last time that the best things are found in the ground. And most of us agreed with me. Because if you need oil, you have to get it in the ground. If you need gold, you have to get it in the ground. If you need some ground nuts, and my house is not talking about it because we love ground nuts. You find it somewhere there. Name them. You find them down there. But you have to do some cleaning. You have to do some washing. You have to purify them to use it for your purpose. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, the Bible says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. In 1 Peter 1.16, we read, be holy because I, I am holy. Holiness is not a destination. And I'll say this, I want to invite Joe to come and join me. Because Joe is going to share with us her story. Holiness is not a destination. Holiness is a journey. It's a process. We all have a God story. And your journey is not my journey. And today I pray as, as Joe shares with us her journey, I want you to reflect back and think about your journey. And my question today, even as Joe is coming back, how do you measure? How do you measure 
your Christian maturity? How do you measure your Christian maturity? Let's put our hands together and receive this lady to come and share with us. Thanks so much, Joe. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, today I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to share my story. Um, I'm not going to do my whole life. Um, I know it's not that long, it's 31, but I'm really going to focus on the last five years or so. And I have definitely been on a journey. Uh, lots of very challenging and un unexpected things have happened. Um, but God has been at work and he continues to remain faithful through seasons of doubt and uh, testing times. Um, but I truly believe one of the biggest parts of the journey in our life is um, coming to that full understanding of who Jesus wants to be in and through us. And, um, and just to be in relationship with him is really so important. Really, I've worked out that nothing else matters. <laughs> so today I'm going to be pretty real and honest with you. And in fact, I was supposed to share at the ladies' service a few months ago, but I got COVID, and so I couldn't share. And then I was going to share another three weeks later, but I was still not well. And then uh, Henry poured water all over our laptop, so I actually lost everything that I was going to say. And then when I was asked to share again, I, I really thought, no, I'm going to keep the title because that's the same, but um, I wanted to share more of my testimony. So um, I've titled it, Don't Be Afraid of the Process, because these are the words that um, have come into my mind often. Um, and I know it's the Holy Spirit who gives voice of reason um, to confirm truth when we might not see it, what is going on. And I know I have been definitely going through a process of God refining me, moulding me and weeding out deep things that I didn't even know that I had carried. Um, and I chose this picture of the windy, windy roads because I feel like that's how life can be. We go through these really windy roads and deep valleys and we might never think that that's what we would ever go through. Um, and it feels like the wilderness at the time and it feels like you're in a desert place and you're just holding on. But that's when I have known and see that God never lets go. And it's in this process of the hard times where God prunes us, he changes us, and we learn to really trust him. Um, so as I was preparing for this, um, for some reason the Great Wall of China popped into my mind, so I went with it. And that's me on the Great Wall of China and my sisters and um, my dad came too, and that was a wonderful trip. But I remember being there and thinking, imagine the process of building that wall. And it actually took 2,300 years, over nine dynasties or whatever, and 21,000 kilometres it went for. And I'm going to ask, because I'm a teacher, the teacher in me wants to know, does anybody know why the Great Wall of China was built? I knew, I knew that was going to come. <laughs> Any other reason? Anybody know? No. Yeah, so it was actually uh, built as a defence and to prevent enemy attacks. And I was, as I was thinking about it, I thought that is really like our lives. Um, that was really hard to build that wall. Lots of people died. The process was actually terrible. But they got there in the end and they were able to build a wall to prevent 
mostly attacks from the enemy. And it is through those seasons that we go through where if we choose to do it with God, he will, he is our best defence and he never leaves us defenceless and he, um, he has been teaching me about the full armour of God. And I don't think I fully really, really understood it until the last three years, um, what that really looks like and how we can use it. And I'm still on the process. I'm not there and I don't think I will until I ever get to heaven. But um, I am learning. Um, if you look at this picture here, what do you see? Does anyone want to share what they see? Clay. That's right. Do you see potential in this clay? Now, I think this blob of clay depends on your perspective and your circumstances of whether you see hope or hopelessness. And um, today I want to focus on us as the clay and the process that we go through to be moulded into the purposes of God. And I love the scripture that says, yet you, it's from Isaiah 64, 8, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And the potential for this clay to become something beautiful depends mainly on the hands of the potter. However, the clay has to be willing to be changed. And I know in my case, I can be very stubborn and my flesh wants to fight change. And even though deep down I know it's what I desire and who I am, it has been a real struggle and will be. I love how Jesus completely gets us though and he says to his disciples when he tells them to stay up and pray and stay awake, he says, I know your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak. And I love that Jesus understands our weaknesses and I'm learning to recognise that it's okay to have them, bring them to him, trust him in changing them Um, and he's so patient. This is where I'm really going to focus on here. Um, it's the process of clay becoming something. And it's funny because I feel like lately there's been a bit of discussion at church about um, how we, um, oh no, no, sorry, about the potter and how we are the clay. And I know Brooke talked about it the other week and there's people been doing a pottery course. I know Jenny has and some other people. And it's just been really interesting, that connection that I've been seeing. And... This picture here, I think, really reflects the parts of life where mistakes are made, where we go down tracks that we never thought we would. We experience anguish and pain and wonder, how will I ever get through this? But I love the image that the potter still always has his hands on the clay and he's always watching it. And I was talking to Mel and Nat the other day, getting some pottery advice, and they said to me how you actually need to be really gentle with the clay and apply appropriate pressure. Mel said how often the clay goes off centre and if you, uh, and you can't make that piece without being um, your piece properly without putting it back to the centre. I love the parallel of how this is with God. God is gentle, he applies pressure when needed, but he doesn't let us remain where we are. He allows us to go off track, but he draws us back to the centre of his will. And it's funny because when I googled how to make clay, it came up with all these uh, misconceptions, and it says there that um, it's it's funny how people think you need a lot of energy to be doing the pottery. I mean, I've never done it, but it looks like it would be hard, and you have to apply strength. But it actually says you have to 
take the pressure off and let, I love that word process, every time I hear process now it pricks up my ears, but you just have to let the process take its course. And if you use too much force, uh, the clay will go off centre. And I kind of see that as how I know for me, when I'll take control of a situation, um, that's when it does really go off course. And when I just stop and let God deal with it and just give it to him, that's when it smooths out the edges. Um, And also sometimes I know for me, I have felt stagnant in life um, and thought, God, I'm a long way off from where I feel like you want me to be. And sometimes I do. I feel have felt defeated by my circumstances. And um, But like um, in pottery, I was also reading that it says you can't rush, rush the process of pottery, and especially like when you're trying to make it into that hole. If you push too quickly and go down because you want to get it done, it actually just collapses and crumbles on top of each other. And I just thought that is how God is with us. He can take you out of a situation in an instant, um, but he chooses to let us go through it. So I know for me, it's not myself that got me through it, it's God. And um, that's something that I really see as a connection with pottery. And I've just, uh, I found this verse, 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21, and it talks about how we are used for special purposes, but we have to be willing and vulnerable and really kind of let all pride go and become humble before God to let him work and so we can become useful. And the weeding process is really hard and I know for me that I'm, I am um, going through it, have been through it and will continue to, but I think it's being open. And I love Romans 8, 28 and it's something that I've continued to hold on to, that God works all things um, together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, and it's, it's interesting when um, another thing I've taken courage in is that when, Peter, when Jesus says to Peter that the enemy is going to sift you, but I have prayed. Like Jesus is there and he is on our team and he is batting for us and he will never leave us, but he also knows um, and allows what is to come in our lives. And, um, yeah, and sometimes it does seem unfair and sometimes it doesn't feel as if um, you can get through, but you do. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey and um, I'm going to try keep to notes because I can go off on tangents and um, and God's shown me a lot that I had to kind of... Um, Put it in a box. (laughs) Um, So a lot of you would know that in the first year of moving here, Pat had a cardiac arrest on the footy field. We always knew this was a possibility given his heart failure and his family history, but we didn't think it would happen when he was 25 years old. We were still newly married and in in our third year of marriage, and we felt we had so much life to live. And I still remember that day. It was Pat's first match of the season, and it was two hours away in Bell Rennell. I said to Pat, man, you have the whole season to go. I'll come to all the others. Um, Little did I know that wouldn't happen. Um, I said, oh, I'll go into school and get ready for term two. And I remember Bron coming in and saying, now, Joe, I need you to sit down. Pat's had a cardiac arrest. And all I wanted to know was that Pat was okay. And by God's grace and the quick thinking hands of trainers and medical team, he was. 
And I didn't see him until midnight that night down in Melbourne. But I actually remember feeling peaceful and knowing it's going to be okay. And this was certainly not in our plan, but I believe that nothing passes through the hands of God without him knowing and allowing. Throughout this time after Pat's cardiac arrest, our family and friends back home would say, how are you guys even coping up there? All your support network is back here. We really had only been in Kerrang, I think, three or four months. But although Pat and I were relatively new, we both saw how God's hand was in everything. And particularly our church and you guys, our work colleagues and friends we had made, um, we generally felt loved on. And it was truly God's way of showing his love through his people. And we were, felt like we were really shoved in the deep end pretty quickly, but truly it was um, all of you who kept us afloat and um, helped us remain positive. And I think that's pretty much the reason why we decided to stay in Kerrang. We came for two years and now we've bought a house and we're living here. But we honestly have felt God's love through you all. And in that same year, we fell pregnant and God answered our prayers with Theo, which actually means God's divine gift. He really was a blessing after a hard time. And it was funny because... we remember that it was Father's Day in 2018 and as we were leaving the church, it was Pastor Bob at the time, and he goes to Pat, Happy Father's Day, mate. I hope that's prophetic. And then that day, as I walked inside the house, I just felt, you're pregnant. And I was pregnant. And I don't know what that means, but it was actually, I just think God's got a sense of humour. And as time went on, Pat went back to full-time work and... um, He was getting stronger and things seemed really stable and we were juggling life with a newborn so we decided to go on a holiday to Phillip Island. They have a surf church down at Phillip Island run by um, Christian surfers and the boys decided to go out that night and have a night surf. And I thought, wow, this is great. Pat's doing really well. I didn't even think to not let him go. Um, And I literally was in the middle of a conversation with some women And I had this random girl run up the beach saying, are you Patrick's wife? He's having a cardiac arrest. And I just remember thinking, wow. And I I was holding Theo. I remember running down the rocky path. Sorry. And I just said, Lord, please just keep him alive. Please keep him here. And when I made it down to the beach, I saw Pat sitting there and his hands in his head devastated and in pain, but he was alive. Oh, just wait a sec. And I quickly whispered, thank you, Lord. And I just instantly had this overwhelming peace, that supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. And I I can't explain it other than it's God. And the ambulance were over an hour away and Pat wasn't allowed to move from his position. We sat back to back and our tears were running down our faces and the water came over our legs and it was dark and I could see that, oh, the light's going, how are the ambulance going to get down here? I remember holding Pat and Theo's hands and I thought, I knew that everything was not all right and humanly my heart ached, but I knew that Jesus was so real in that moment. Okay. I don't need them yet. Um, Pat had had a conscious VT and his internal defibrillator had kicked in twice. Even the medical team were using the word miracle to describe the fact that Pat was still here because he, that doesn't happen. He should have drowned. 
God knows every day how many hours we have on this earth, and it wasn't his time to go yet. As Pat got into the ambulance, the church pastor said to me, how come you're not freaking out? How can you be so calm? And I literally just said, it's Jesus. Humanly, I shouldn't have felt that way. And I just remember going back to my sister-in-law's house and I just hit the pillow and I was out like a light. And I just didn't feel worried. However, over the next two years, things were challenging. Pat had two surgeries that were unsuccessful and, and other than making it to work each day, Pat pretty much went home and slept. This was a challenging time for us, plus it was COVID as well. Um, Pat would struggle to make it through the day without having VT, and we can't even count VT as like a, a bit of a hard episode and that kind of stuff. And we can't even count the number of times we ended up in emergency or him having an ambulance ride. So we did feel on edge often. When Pat was in a really bad state, I actually couldn't leave him alone with Theo. So it was a challenging time. But I also had a miscarriage in this time. And I remember sitting there in the bathroom saying, Lord, I know you're here, but I truly don't know how much more I can handle. And I felt like it was a bad movie, just keeping on going. Because literally straight after I had said that, Pat called from the lounge room saying, Joe, you've got to come and get Theo. I'm having another episode. So it was just one thing after another. And that was April 2020. In June, Pat had his second surgery to remove the scarring on his heart and it failed as they actually couldn't even reach his heart and couldn't continue as Pat had been under too long. This was quite deflating. We would have to wait another year before Pat could even have surgery again. This made the future seem really uncertain and I knew how deflated Pat felt, sore and frustrated, but he put on a brave face. All the pain of surgery but no gain. But that day... I remember God gave me this peace as we drove home to Kerrang and I can't explain it but I had the worship music on and I still always look back at that time and remember that God gives peace if we allow it. Um, by God's grace um, we had a season where Pat just seemed stable and there was no physical or medical reason as to why and we just described that season as a gift um, and then that's when we fell pregnant with Henry. However, six weeks into my pregnancy, I developed prenatal anxiety and insomnia, resulting in depression. The last, uh, this lasted right throughout my pregnancy, and I can't describe how out of character it felt for me, confusing and very scary. In the mix of all this, Pat's condition deteriorated, and began, he began to have more heart episodes. And I remember he had one alone on the golf course. And I felt like I had gone from this person who felt so strong and peaceful and all would be okay to a place where the peace of God I couldn't feel anymore. And I seemed to be unable to stop the fear consuming me. With extremely minimal sleep, which if anyone's experienced insomnia, it just is detrimental and I can see why they use it as um, punishment. <laughs> Being pregnant and trying to be there for Pat and Theo, I felt like I was really failing. It was here that the lies of the enemy took hold in my life and I tried everything to cling on to God and his peace. But the more I panicked I, and or couldn't see or think clearly, the more afraid I became. Later, after I received medical help and counselling, which I encourage everyone to do if you need it, I found out I was experiencing prenatal anxiety and OCD. 
which I hadn't had before. I was given strong medication to help me finally sleep and anxiety meds, which I weaned off um, as I was pregnant because I also knew that deep down I was experiencing real spiritual warfare and the enemy was having a field day with me and my family. My thoughts turned against me. I battled with opposing thoughts of God, blasphemies in my head, things that made me fear so much, and so many lies came at me like arrows. God's word was truth, and I knew deep down inside that I even began fearing reading the Bible as I didn't want my mind to contradict it. And that's a really scary place to be. It was in these moments I remember this still voice that said, don't be afraid of the enemy, he can't harm you. Deep down, I believed that, but it felt scary. I cannot even put into words the utter confusion, shame and isolation I felt, even though I was still surrounded by people. During this time, we purchased a house and moved in. And I actually remember feeling little joy, even though I wanted to, because I really struggled to be present in that moment. And it was hard for me because these things actually, I feel the very opposite to who I am. Pat and my family and friends were very concerned about me. Pat still wasn't well and he was waiting to get called up for surgery. Between us, we were really a pair and we tried to support each other and Theo as best we could. And I just really want to thank you um, to those people in this church that prayed with me and talked with me and really spoke um, God's truth into my life and I know you know who you are. Um, And it feels strange and very vulnerable to admit it now. But my mind was so confused and so sad. And I said to God that he, could take, that he could take me after the baby was born. I truly wanted to be in heaven at my weakest point. I felt like I couldn't live with the mind. Sorry. I felt like I couldn't live with the mind that wasn't all in for God and not in agreement with him. It really felt like I was stuck in torment. I continued to read the Bible, however, and journaled all throughout this process, which lasted over one and a bit years. And if I'm really honest, I'm still dealing with the impact today as God continues to restore and transform my heart and mind, and I've got to let go of where I've been. Right from the very beginning of this mental health battle, I was facing... God spoke, don't be afraid of the process. And I didn't know what that meant, but I do now. I just wanted to share some of the really clear things that God gave me throughout this journey. Um, He continued to instill hope and promise when I couldn't see it or feel it. At the very beginning, Uh, At the very beginning, I had seven people, I counted them because I journaled it, in the space of two weeks say the exact same thing to me. They said, Job, it's like when Theo was learning to walk. You You were always there, right there, ready to catch him, but you let him fall. And that's exactly how God is with us. He knew that this would come into my life and he knew it would cause me such anguish. But he was always there and has always been there supporting me. Another one is um, uh, with Brooke and I, I hadn't been sleeping like nights and nights in a row and I just said, Lord, 
please show me that you love me and that you haven't left me. Even though deep down I knew that I needed, I needed something clear. Literally at three in the morning, which was like an hour later, I get my phone and it pings and it's Brooke saying, I've been praying for you for the last hour and a half and I just want you to know that God loves you so much and I've memorised it. You're high on his list of daughters and he loves you more than you can understand. And she also said, yeah, even if you don't feel his presence, um, he's right there. And I just, it was those things that I can't even, I could never orchestrate something like that, but God can. And, um, and another one was one day I was journaling and I just stopped. And I don't normally always see pictures in my mind, but I saw this picture of a bird. Yeah, thanks. A bird that was in a cage. And a bird that's been in a cage for not very long is really happy to go fly in and out of the cage. But a bird who has been in a cage for what feels like a long time, um, really, even though they might not like their surroundings or anything like that, it is that mental struggle of coming out because you don't know what the unknown is like. And then I had this image of these hands, just like this with the birdcage door, always open. And the, the owner, which I see as God, is always there waiting for us to come out. And he won't. He won't come and pull us out. He could. But then we won't be changed through that process. And that's really, really stuck with me. And then this is how God is. He confirms things. And a month later, I was doing a course, a three-day course of how to hear God speak in your own life. And it was a random question, but I went with it. And it said, if your life was a movie, ask God if your life was a movie, what, um, what movie would it be? And I thought, wow, the way my mind is right now, I could go anywhere with this one. But it was Aladdin. Aladdin just popped into my mind. I was like, okay. And then the next question was, what character? Okay, I'll be Jasmine. And then, so then I, I, I Googled Jasmine character profile, and no joke, this came up. Interest, being truly free. Um, she's uh, behind the cloistered walls of the palace. Princess Jasmine feels held back like a bird in a cage. And that was just God confirming for me. He completely understood how I felt. He completely understood it. But then the next question was, and what is the end of that story in, in Aladdin? And it's where Jasmine is free. And that's what God wants for all of us, that we are free and we live in freedom and we're not crippled by our past, we're not crippled by our weaknesses, we're just living in freedom. And I've always held on to that. Also, Psalm 23, um, I remember one time when I was in China, I went and did some orphanage work there and I was in this um, station in the middle of nowhere and there weren't many foreigners. And I remember Psalm 23 just all in my head all the time. And that's a scripture reference for me that's come back in my life often. And in this time, Psalm 23 seemed to be in every book, every sermon, every topic of conversation, I would talk with friends and even I had little parcels delivered on my doorstep, Psalm 23. <laughs> and I knew that, I, I knew what God was saying and he knew that I was on a journey to understand that. And I look back over my journal over the last two years and even though I wrote things down then, it's kind of only now that I can see how God was really working. And now I'm in a different 
headspace or getting there where I can really hold on to it and allow it to change me. Um, I just wanted to switch back just a little bit. Um, I know I don't want to go over time. Um, So you know a little bit about me when I was little. From a young girl, I was brought up in a Christian home and I was baptised at 13. And I remember always wanting to serve God. Um, I wanted to do missionary work or I wanted to work in an orphanage or... And, I remember, and in prep, I still remember this day, I had my neighbour come around from next door and I gave her my kid's Bible and I was getting all passionate. And then she never came back again. <laughs> and I remember saying to my mum, I don't understand why people don't want to know who Jesus is. Like, and, and I remember watching the Jesus movie for the first time and I was up at the TV and just weeping <laughs> and saying, Mum, how could people hurt Jesus? And... For me, I had this conviction from a young age that Jesus was the way, the truth and the life, and I really wanted to serve him. But um, I think as I've gone through struggles, I, I have realised and God's shown me through that is I've worked so hard to please God and, and to make him proud of me by doing things or um, trying to earn his love. Even though I didn't realise I was doing it, I was. And rather than just resting in the love of Christ and just knowing that his love never changes. Um, and it really isn't about me and it's all about what he's done for me. And I could live a day or live a life and maybe never even do anything for God, but his love never changes. But I want to do things because I love God. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Um A while back I was reading Luke 15 about the prodigal son and it hit me the part that says, while he was still far a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him. And that really hit home to me. It's funny how when you read a passage, um, something else can come out for you at a different time. And that's actually how I've really felt is that I feel like for me I've still got a long way to go. when, when you go through something mentally, you do come up with habits and there's the physical side as well of becoming whole again. And But Jesus takes me as I am. Um, nothing was a surprise to him. And God doesn't condemn me for my past. The enemy's job, he condemns and he accuses. And it um, And it's all part of God restoring me and that's in his time. And it's funny because in that same week of having the revelation about being a long way off, um, I was reading, um, I was sitting there and asking myself, when was a time in my life where I just knew that God loved me or God loved me the most? Which is actually a silly question, but um, I, and then I thought, oh, it must have been when I was in, there's a picture there, when I was in China and working in the orphanage. And then it was just straight came into my mind, um, my love for you, Joe, has never changed. And, and then as I opened this book, the new chapter in my book was all about the prodigal son, talking about how it didn't matter if we were a long way off and how many mistakes we had made. God's love remained the same throughout his whole journey. Um, and it was amazing confirmation for me that day. There's so many times throughout my journey, despite um, where I've been, there will never be anything that will separate me from the love of Christ. And... And I love that. Oops. I love that scripture there. Um, that 
I do feel that I um, had felt like a target for a long time. You know, the, the enemy does, it's true, he um, moves around, roars around like a lion trying to destroy lives. And for me, I wasn't in a good headspace at that time. But God never, never left me. And as I've got stronger, I've been able to kind of rebuke those lies that I have um, had spoken over me or that I've thought. And I just want to, uh, oh, yeah, I don't need to fear the enemy and I don't need to fear my weaknesses anymore. I'm just learning to accept and rest in the love of God and he is the one that does the job of transforming me to become more like him. And I just want to encourage you that if you're struggling with anything or going through a trial, um, you don't need to be afraid to share it with someone. That was the biggest thing for me. Because of the things that I had in my mind, I thought there was a lot of shame with that. But it was only when that was brought out into the light, the enemy likes to hide in the dark. But if you've got something that you're struggling with, bring it into the light. Because that is when hope and growth and um, all that changes you. Um, So many times when I was at the end of myself, the scripture that says the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. It always comes to mind. And that no weapon formed against me or you shall prosper. Our God is an overcoming God, and he is always faithful in the process of making us whole again. And I just wanted to finish with this picture because I'm so blessed to have these guys in my life. But I have always also realised that whilst I love them so much, my boys and Pat, that there is no person or thing that can ever fill me like Jesus can. And it's really a journey for me to realise that. And, yeah, but while I'm here on this earth and while God has given me my boys, I see that the world is changing and many people are struggling mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of them. But I want to be able to be used to guide my kids into the truth of what God says about them, not what the world says or what the enemy tries to tell them. I want God's word to be strong and loud in their lives. And we don't always know what people are going through. And it's so important to be real, to be kind and to be Jesus to them. Pray with others and let God use you to love and help others. God has been so gracious to me. He's carried me. And I want to encourage you with don't be afraid of the process. A friend said to me during this time when I was sharing my struggles, she said, Joe, everything you're saying sounds absolutely horrible, but I feel such peace listening to you because I know that this is your sanctification process. This is how God is going to mould you and use you for years to come. Even in the hard and scary times, God will never give up on you. Thank you.